This is A Drink with a Friend. I'm Tish Oxenreiter. And I'm Seth Haynes. All right, Seth, what are you drinking? Well, I, you know, I've been uh, trying various things for nutrition and I just finished um, this sort of like meal replacement. I actually use it as a meal supplement and Mm -hmm. it was like, has all your daily greens and antioxidants and protein and all this stuff. But I just finished it. And to be honest, it tasted a little bit like death, (laughs) like chocolate death, but still like death. And so I was going to drink coffee this afternoon, um, but I decided that I wanted to wash that taste out of my mouth a little bit with something that was a little bit more berry-ish. And mm-hmm. so I am drinking what has come to be a staple on the show, the uh, Spindrift Sparkling Water. This is the raspberry lime version. Nice. I specifically got it to wash the taste <laughs> out of my mouth. Yeah. Chocolate death sounds gross. Any Choc- yeah. Any drink with the word death in it. Yeah. 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 And and chocolate, I'm a huge chocolate lover. You know, Amber says there are two types of people, lemon people and chocolate people. Um, Mm -hmm. I am team chocolate. And so I'm excited when I see something that is healthy and chocolate, Mm -hmm. but except for I haven't learned my lesson yet that most things that are healthy and chocolate taste like chocolate death. Yeah. They're not good, which is sad. Yeah. It is sad. It is sad. Mm -hmm. So if any of the listeners have any ideas about (laughs) things that we should eat slash drink that are healthy and chocolate, I will very much take them up on it. There you go. There you go. So Tish, what are you drinking today? Well, speaking of repeats on the show, I two minutes till we recorded, I was like, oh, shoot, I should get a different drink. And I was like, no, forget it. So I'm drinking my concoction that I now need to come up with a name for because I drink this every afternoon. Um, and it is that I think it was what I was drinking two weeks ago when I was on the show last. So it is this weird apple cider vinegar plus lemon plus Himalayan sea salt plus sparkling water concoction. And it's really good. And I know it sounds gross, but it's not. Um, I'm doing this thing that we will maybe one day talk about on the podcast about intermittent fasting. And it's good for electrolytes to get your salt Mm. in when you're not getting it in other ways and when you're drinking a whole lot of water. So that's why I drink it every afternoon. And I love it. So that's what I'm drinking in a big old mason jar. You should call it Dwaff for uh, (laughs) drink with a friend. And you can just say, today I'm drinking Dwaff. I like it. I can do that, actually. What? Which also sounds like how a four-year-old would pronounce giraffe. (laughs) That's kind of cute. That's our new logo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There you go. Okay. Well, thank you for um, your lovely wife, Amber, holding down the fort last week. It was lovely to hear y'all's voices. I submitted my book and I am a human again, so I appreciate it. Um, And we might just have her on again because I'd like to talk with her about all sorts of stuff. So. Oh man, she's great. She's great. And yeah. really, you you should have we should have her on and let me just exit the room and just let <laughs> the two of y'all talk because that would be mm-hmm. an amazing episode. Yeah. I have all kinds of thoughts regarding chickens and farming because we've become these people. And I think she's like a kindred spirit in that department. So hundred percent. And I have yep. zero thoughts about chickens <laughs> other than we get to eat the eggs. Yeah, right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, so you guys have, I mean, speaking of Amber and you guys in your family, you've had a wild week, couple weeks, couple weeks since Easter, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, since before Easter. Yeah. And you've talked about it on social media and I think in your writing. So it's not um, surprising to your listen. I mean, it's not surprising to your readers, but go ahead and share a little bit about what's on your mind. 
Yeah. So, um, a couple of weeks ago I had a friend, um, a good friend. We'd, we'd sort of lost touch over the last year, which is part of the story, but a good friend, um, who passed away, lost his life, um, to suicide. And it was a really, uh, yeah, it was a difficult, confusing, uh, two weeks, uh, three weeks really now. Um, very sad in a lot of ways. Um, you know, there've been bits and pieces of hope and grace and also grief and anger and all the mix of emotions that go along with losing someone who, who loses uh, their life to suicide. Um, and so, yeah, it's just been a really, it's been a really hard, hard couple mm-hmm. of weeks. Has that, is this ever something you've experienced before in your own life? No, no, it's not. Um, I, you know, you, Growing up, I mean, if you, you get to be our age, you know, you know of occurrences of it, of people who, who have it happen uh, from time to time, you know, high school classmates or people who uh, were in college the same time I was. But, you know, as far as friends, no, this is, this is my first experience with it. And it's, it's, uh, it's a brutal experience. Mm, I bet. Same with yeah. me. Exactly. I've, I've known of high school classmates and college classmates, but never firsthand. And my dad has, and, you know, he will talk with me about it sometime. And I hate to say it, but I think it is kind of one of these matter of time that most of us will experience this more directly at some point in our lives. It's, it's common. Yeah. And it's growing more and more common. And, and, you know, to some degree we can talk about the particulars today, but to some degree, I think it's this is a little bit more of a meta conversation. It's a conversation that feels really timely. Um, you know, I've I've done a lot of speaking on addiction and depression and mental health issues, and 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 part of that grows out of my own uh, battle with alcohol. And um, and and when you start doing any sort of research on alcohol uh, or addiction, you start to look at issues of pain and existential pain and what drives addictive cycles. And, and when you start really researching existential pain, you get into things like depression and anxiety and, and these sorts of things. And what we've seen since really the pandemic, uh, various things. One, I mean, we all know this, right? An increase in isolation. Like yeah. for months and months and months, many of us didn't leave the house. Yeah. And, and, and if you're in a situation where um, you're not living with anyone or you don't have people in your house, that isolation can be really brutal. And it's just as brutal, or it can be just as brutal if you if you live with family. But um, so we know that there's increased isolation. With that increased isolation has come things like increased addiction to all sorts of different things. So um, we know that the opioid uh, use has skyrocketed. We know that alcohol uh, use is up. We know that porn use is up. Uh, my guess would be binge shopping is up. Mm-hmm. Uh, my guess would be binge eating is up because in these cycles of pain, you turn to the thing that brings you comfort. And then along with those things, all of a sudden, you know, come these feelings of guilt and shame and depression. And, and, um, if there's one thing, any person in recovery will tell you, it's like, once that sets in, it's just a downward spiral. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result of that, you know, I did a little research It was actually before all this happened. And over the last year, at the beginning of the pandemic, they noticed that suicidal ideation really didn't have that much of an uptick. They thought it was going to, and it really, it really didn't. Hmm. But when the second wave hit and hmm. isolation for the second sort of time hit, 
um, after the the summer, we started seeing a seven percent to thirty percent, depending on your region, your country, the world, increase in suicidal ideation and and act act you know act action, and and, and that was a seven to thirty percent year over year, not not just the pre pandemic period, but over the year of, of two thousand nineteen. So, hmm. I mean, this is something that is on the rise. It's increasing. Um, I expect we'll see a slowdown, but you know, in the summer, but, but even still, you know, this is something that psychologists and psychiatrists have been tracking now for a few years, these sort of deaths of despair, despair that causes opioid overdose and, and death by suicide and all these, these different, um, uh, sort of despairing moments in the world that culminate in, uh, death. And these have been on the rise for several years. So I think this is something that's worth talking about yeah. um, and worth talking about candidly. And I think in addition, the increased technology access that we have, the social media faux connectivity, um, mm-hmm. I have heard there's a direct correlation between the rise in social media use and addiction and suicidal ideation, especially among teens. Yeah. Um because there's this weird paradox where we're more connected than ever, which makes us more isolated than ever because it's not a real connection. And so I think we all see this in, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm a teen, I'm a mom to a teen girl. And so this is very much front and center in my mind. I'm a teacher. I hear this from other families that this is a real thing and it has nothing to do with how religious your family is or how, you know, well-intentioned you are with with certain parameters in your life when it comes to things that you would classify as like bad or wrong, you know, whether it's alcohol use or or watching of certain things or or whatever that basically my point is like we're all prey to it in our modern society with instant access to everything. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Mm-hmm. And and I think you know the 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 uh, to me, the indicator of just how alone we are is when I go, you know, to a park or when I'm running on a trail. This actually happened this weekend. I was <laughs> I was out trail running and I saw two people walking on a trail in the middle of nowhere. I was in the middle of the city, but, you know, you get what I'm saying. We were on a trail. It was out in the woods and they were both staring at their phones. Mm. And, and I thought, oh, wow, like not only are they together and staring at their phones, they're together in the wilderness and staring at their phones. And I do think that there is a correlation. It feels like a correlation. Every time I get on the Internet, I feel a little less human. Um, I feel sometimes a little more jealous, a little less connected, a little less platformed, a little less, a little less, a little less. So it would be hard for me to imagine that in a world where people need hope and encouragement and community and songs of joy, that getting on a vacuous uh, platform would somehow uh, fit or fill a need that we think we have. Um, And that need being community. Well, and you, I think are the one that opened my eyes to that idea back when coming clean came out, this idea of the, um, maybe you're going to say it better than me, I think, but like the antithesis of addiction isn't, it's not something, it's community or it's, it's. Yeah. Yeah. You know so, getting at? yeah. So there are a couple of, of predicates to that one is, you know, Johan Hari has, has written some, um, uh, an amazing book and has done an amazing article and Ted talk on this idea that the opposite of um, addiction is, is truly community. And he 
uh, says we need to stop fighting the war on drugs and sing more love songs, less war songs, more love songs, I think is how he puts it. And he actually talks about how there were rats in the scientific study and they were put in this, this maze. And at the end of the maze, there were these, these two water bottles and one had heroin in it and one did not. And when they got to the end or when the rats in isolation, no other rats in the, in the maze were in isolation um, as a reward, they would, pick this this heroin water and in fact um even outside of the maze they would they would just keep hitting this heroin water heroin over and over and over again but then when he put or when the researchers put the rats in a sort of a rat playground with other rats in good community they still offered them the heroin water and the regular water and the rats every time would pick the regular water they didn't want the heroin water anymore wow. um they wanted to be present to the other rats and mm-hmm. and so, so that's predicate one. Predicate two is when you look at Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, because I'm a Christian, this is what I, what I read. In the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul writes not to be drunk on wine, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say, singing to one, another's in, one another in psalms and spiritual songs, which is the weirdest passage that you would say, don't be drunk, but instead go hang out and sing to each other. That's so bizarre. <laughs> But what I think he's saying is, instead of being stuck in these loops of, uh, you know, isolation and drunkenness and addiction, all of those things, which most people do in isolation, go to the community, be surrounded by a community who embraces you and brings you in and sings love songs and joy songs and hope songs over you. Um, and that this is functionally the uh, the fix to addiction. And the truth is, that's the truth. This is why people go to AA and NA mm-hmm. and SA. Uh, this is why, um, you know, recovery programs that, that take you in for a period of weeks work. Because it, it incorporates you into a community with a singular focus. And that single, singular focus is hope and, and encouragement and love. And, and I know we're not a hundred percent talking about addiction here, but I think the principle is the same. You know, my friend had been isolated. And in fact, every person I know of secondhand who's died by suicide has had a period of deep isolation. The research is showing that suicide is going up. Why? Because of isolation. Um, and, and so one of the fixes that we know is, listen, don't, be filled with depression. Don't be filled with anxiety. Don't be filled, you know, yes, go to therapy, do those things, but also like be involved in a community that loves you and cares about you and knows who you are. And it doesn't have to be church. doesn't have to be a community group, but it has to be a group of people who genuinely know you and care for you and hear you and see you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's exactly why we see the connection with teens, um, increase in suicide in that demographic and increase in social media because they are searching for a community. Mm-hmm. And most teens I know are very lonely, very yeah. lonely. And yeah. they don't know they, you know, they don't have the prefrontal cortex yet to, to maturely seek out community or be the vulnerable one to say, Hey, let's be friends. Yeah. Um, Cause I mean, it's hard for us adults to do that. And so, you know, not to keep bringing it back to that, but I think that's, that's why we see that demographic. And yet who are we, if not, you know, those of us that are adults that feel like we should know better, but you know, we're the, cut from the exact same fabric. Yeah. I, um, so I was listening to dear Hank and John, it's a weekly podcast. The whole family listens to with, um, 
Hank and John Green, they're brothers. And they pointed out this one interesting sociological phenomenon that we, um, it, it was a rabbit trail because they were talking about why we nod to strangers. Like when we walk by each other, why we do this weird <laughs> head thing, where that comes from. Um, they pointed out that if you think about it in the span of human history, it's actually really rare th- that you would spend your day among strangers. Like we go to Target and 99% of the people we don't know. But, and we actually find it strange when we run into somebody we do know, or we see somebody out in the wild that we know, it feels jarring. Yet that was not the case for all of human history, really. We lived in a very small little radius where we were in a village. We knew our neighbors. We knew our, our, you know, everybody around us. And it didn't take us long to become this modern society where we go a mile away to the store and we don't know anybody. And we're so used to that, that we don't even think that's weird. And to me, that spoke into just how much our brains have shifted to this idea of what's normal and what's not when maybe our souls have not yet caught up or maybe shouldn't catch up because that's not what they were made for, you know, or maybe we'll never catch up. Yeah. I mean, I think fundamentally we were made a particular way and we were made as communal creatures. And again, I mean, I think the deaths of despair are indication that we have fundamentally denied a part of our existence, which is that, that, that communal need, the primal need to be in community, in group, known, fully known, fully loved, even if we're ribbed every now and then or sarcastically gigged a little bit, um, that we have a tribe, we have a people, we have a group, um, you know, whatever we're you want to use like we need a community of people surrounding us that know us and that allow us to be fully known and for them to be fully known um, yeah and this is the way humans have done it forever and this is how you know the 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 best humans will operate uh, and do operate now and in the future yeah Hey guys, a quick break from our conversation to tell you about StoryWorth. They're one of the long-term sponsors of the show. You've heard me talk about them for years now, and that's because I really and truly love what they do and what they're about, and I think you will too. And honestly, they're especially poignant for this episode's necessary conversation topic. We're all longing for more connection and deeper, more authentic relationships, and StoryWorth is genuinely a fantastic way to help you do that just a little bit more. So here's what it's about. Every week for a year, StoryWorth will email someone you choose one question to answer. Things like, what was your first date like? What are some of your favorite songs? What was your favorite meal growing up? Tell me about one of your most memorable teachers. You can choose the questions StoryWorth already has, or you can create your own. Your person sends StoryWorth their answers, and then after a year, all their answers will then be compiled, along with any additional submitted photos, into this beautifully bound published book that StoryWorth sends to you for free. It's this beautiful keepsake for future generations to cherish, and it gives you a peek into a loved one's life through prompts you'd probably never think to ask. So spring holidays, like Mother's Day, are coming up soon, and giving story worth to a beloved mother figure in your life is such a great way to honor them. It's especially great these days when we still can't be with so many of our loved ones in person, especially our mamas. If there's ever been a time to make the moms in your life feel seen, it's this one. 
And having this keepsake book to read stories you've probably heard a hundred times, or maybe for the very first time, just might even help you find more strength and encouragement to handle whatever it is you're facing these days. So to give StoryWorth for Mother's Day, or for any reason at all, go to storyworth.com slash drink. And with that code, you'll save $10 off your first purchase. So that's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash drink to get $10 off. All right, back to our chat. So the past few weeks have been brand new territory for you and Amber. I'm curious if you have insight on how to be a friend in this regard, you know, like I'm just thinking surely there's at least one listener who has walked this path that you have walked. If you, I mean, what have you been learning about how to go through this? Yeah. I think the first thing is recognizing that we all have shadow and light, you know, a a friend who um, passes this way is not innately bad. They're not any worse than I am. And and so there is this real tendency towards anger and, and the sense of betrayal. And that's natural. And you ought to feel that. And you ought to express that. And it's going to happen. Um, everyone that I talked to uh, said the same thing. It was close. Said the same thing. I feel betrayed. I feel angry. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, would then quickly pivot to say, but like, I get it. And it doesn't ruin my love for the human. In fact, Amber said um, the fact that that he loved you and you loved him is the greatest miracle. Like y'all and your friends experienced something together. And that was really beautiful. And so one, just recognizing that like we're all shadow and light, we're all darkness and and it it, time from time to time. And the truth is, um, you know, maybe three or four series of events could take me to the same dark place or to Mm -hmm. a similar dark place. So I think just recognizing that. I've also heard that those, who struggle with suicide ideation, they, you know, it's easy for us to think that this is a selfish act when really their thinking is this is the most selfless thing I can do so that I will no longer be a burden to those I love. Totally. 100%. And, and, and we can say that that's false thinking, but in a sense, in, in their experience, that is ultimately true. It doesn't make it true objectively, but in their subjective experience, it makes it true. And so again, learning to have compassion on uh, the the deceased, even in death, having compassion mm-hmm. on them. So I think that's, that's a big one. The second thing is um, trying to walk the line of friend to family uh, in this is, is really tricky. And, and, you know, family needs space to grieve. Friends need space to grieve. Um, and so just, saying once or twice, Hey, if you need anything, I am here, Mm. but also saying, but I don't need to be here. You know, I like Mm. you surround yourself with who you need. If I'm one of those people, let me know. If I feel a particular niche in your life, let me know if I can help you straighten out some affairs or go run an errand or bring you a loaf of bread, whatever my role is like, just let me know at the memorial service. One of the family members indicated so many of you have reached out and said you want to help. And I really appreciate that, but there's nothing you can do. Mm. And so for that person in that moment, the continual asking for help was not helpful. 
It was actually painful. Yeah. And I've heard too, you know, this is my experience with depression, which I know isn't the same thing, but it definitely is of the same, you know, fabric that whenever I had just people say like, how you doing? Do you need anything? It, it kind of froze me because I didn't know how to answer like everything and nothing. I don't know. But just depending on the kind of relationship you have, I found that it was helpful for certain people that knew me well enough and was in my life well enough to just say, hey, I'm swinging by the store. Do you need anything from the store? Like what I mean is get really practical or granular. Yeah. Like yeah. don't just say like need anything. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it just depends yeah. on the person. But yeah. I, and I think that's true. I think part of it is if you are in a mentally healthy space, and you're helping someone who is going to be dealing with anguish at the loss of a lo- loss of a loved one through, uh, you know, through suicide, particularly, then it's just approaching it from a healthy angle, not yeah. like becoming, you know, not thinking that you're the solution to anything, not centering yourself in the project or in the process yeah. or in the problem, but just saying like, hey, look, if you need anything, I am here. I think that's mm-hmm. super critical that I learned came really by accident. Um, and it's why I wanted to talk about it today because I, I posted a, a, a short deal on Instagram. You know how I don't like to do words on Instagram. I don't like to do like word art or whatever. Yeah. I think I've done it twice in the last year or something for very discreet purposes. Well, this was one of those purposes. And I just said, Hey, look, you know, the shadows are growing long. It's a, it's been a long pandemic season. And if you find yourself looking at the shadows and saying, Ooh, this is too much, you know, like, there's a number you can call. There's mm-hmm. a, a hotline uh, that you can call and somebody will talk to you on the other side of the, the phone. If you don't have community, and we've been saying you need community to talk these things out, like there's someone you can call. Yeah. And I just mentioned that. And I think two people maybe uh, publicly in the comments indicated, I get this. I have felt this. Mm-hmm. Um and I think just seeing people want to show up on an Instagram page and say, I get this was really shocking to me because two people that I really don't know in a public forum of people that they don't know saying, I understand how things could get this dark. And in fact, I've kind of been there lately is an indication that like, this is a much bigger issue than we think. Um, And so certainly there are people listening today who have felt that way in the past. And listen, I've felt that way before. I mean, I remember in Coming Clean, I write about this. I was sitting with my therapist and I said, I don't think I want to take my life, but I don't want to be here anymore. And I felt so crazy. And he was like, nope, you're not crazy. I hear that three or four times a week. Like, this is super normal. You realize that, right? He's like, where it's abnormal is when you isolate yourself so much that you think that that's the only way out. Like, that's when it goes too far. And you're here talking to me. So let's talk that through. And it was so helpful. And, and so I think my biggest takeaway is that this is a much bigger deal than we think. If you found yourself in this place... Like you're not crazy. <laughs> you haven't lost your mind. Um, you're not any darker than most other humans. Um, you may feel lonely. And and so what do you do about that? Like call someone, call yeah. the suicide hotline, uh, call a therapist, call a friend and just say like, listen, I'm struggling with this and I don't, I don't want to do it because the truth is, um, and I'll say this objectively as a friend and not subjectively, I know it feels like, uh, things would be better if only you weren't there. Um, 
I know, I know this for a fact from another situation I helped with as an attorney. I know you might think like the insurance money uh, is going to be better for my family than my life. But what I will tell you is that's bullshit. That's not true. Um, And so if there is any kind of ideation like that running around in your head, like you got to pick up the phone and call. And I think the fourth thing I would say is that, um, and this really does go to my faith, you know, as, as a practitioner of the way of Jesus and the way of the Catholic church, like I really have a gift to be able to go and say, like, I don't know that I want to call the suicide prevention hotline. I don't know that I want to tell my family. I don't know what I tell. I don't know that I want to tell a friend, but I can go and sit and talk to a priest. Mm-hmm. Like, and he kind of has to talk to me. Like if I say, I want to go to confession, he can't really be like, nah, not today. Like he kind of has to talk to me and that's kind of cool and pretty freaking awesome. So if you are a liturgical person, if you're a practitioner of the way of Jesus in the Catholic church, then like use that as an option when things get dark. Um, And if you're not, I mean, if you're just random evangelical or Baptist or non-denominational or whatever you are, and you can't get an audience with someone on your staff, which normally you can, call your local priest. They will meet with you. Yeah. I actually, a few years ago, learned that priests or dioceses in the Catholic Church are set up to where priests are covering a neighborhood and not just the parishioners that come in and and fill the pews. Mm -hmm. Like, they're... Their moral obligation per their vows is for a particular area. And so if you live in that area of that particular parish, he's your priest, even if you don't think of it that way. Totally. And I sat with a friend who's not Catholic and our priest about two months ago, and he was walking through a particularly tricky situation and wanted some wisdom and some counsel. And so we called the priest and we went and sat down Mm -hmm. and it was incredible. Um, and the wisdom was spot on. Uh, so yeah, again, like you do have people, even if you feel like you don't. Yeah. And to swing back to your point three, I think the stigma with therapy is, is waning, which is great, but I think there might still be somebody who might justify their lack of need because of either the cost or the hassle or, who are they to complain about just their kids driving them crazy in a pandemic when there's much bigger issues in the world? Um, and I think we need to burn that light of the ground because it's very easy to justify not going to a therapist. And I have never been, I've never regretted going, even if it was a therapist that didn't work out because we didn't click, which I think is important to realize that sometimes it takes a couple yep visits or a couple of months to find a therapist that works for you. But therapy has always been a net positive in my life. Yeah. And you're very, very normal to go see a therapist. Oh, hundred percent. Totally normal. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I was thinking yesterday, uh, in part because of this, like it's probably time for a tune up. Like I might need to go in. Um, you know, we, we, we firmly believe in therapy in the Haynes household. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do too. Um, and I think, There's so many options now that there's a lot of online therapists and I've not personally done that, but I've heard a lot of people who have, and that's a good partial solution. Like if you don't feel like you can connect with somebody local, even though it's not ideal to talk through a screen, that is better than nothing. So definitely go that route. Yeah. And I think, I mean, to kind of sum up my thoughts, you know, we, we, we hear, we talk a lot about what does it mean 
to look at the good, the true, and the beautiful. And we're actually doing that really as a shorthand for saying, like, what is the sacramental truth underlying uh, life? Like, where do we experience uh, God? And and a lot of what we've seen over the last year has been almost like a systematic deconstruction of the ways we experience God. You know, churches were shut down. Communities were shut down. Um, you know, it, it, people were experiencing community only through Zoom, if at all. It's just been a dark year of isolation. But I think the sacramental truth is God created us to experience His goodness through the, the grace of community. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. And we have to crawl out, climb out of the darkness of this pandemic and, and fight for it. Yeah. Because the alternative to fighting for it is giving up, you know? Yeah. Um, yesterday, and this is kind of a tangential point, but yesterday I sort of, I made this little joke on Instagram that only true fans of John Prine get, which I posted a picture of Amber and I said, She's my lady. Won't say maybe never going to let her go, which some some of you are now (laughs) laughing um, because of the lines of that song. But uh, John Blaze, a friend of mine, said, you know, he thinks that's that's really the crux of it is holding on to one Mm. to one another. And I think he's really on to something like there's not some like deep biblical truth hidden there. There's not some like like sermon or sellable content in don't let go. But I think Prine was onto something. And functionally, what he was saying is we were meant for each other and not just husband and wife. Like we were meant for each other. And when we let go, that's when we lose hope. That's when things fall apart. Um, And so there's just something really important to fighting for, clawing, scratching for community, especially when the days are dark. And to kind of sum up, I think you were showing strength and not weakness when you reach out to somebody and you feel like an idiot and you say, hey, I'm not doing well or I'm lonely or can we talk, even if it feels awkward and even if you feel like, gosh, we have to catch up. It's been a long time since we've talked. It shows strength to reach out. And so both of our takeaways is reach out to somebody and we will put in the show notes the the number that you put on your Instagram post. so that it's there as a resource for people. Yeah. yeah. And don't wait. Don't wait. Made the call. Yeah. yeah. Well said. All right. Well, we like to talk about something we're watching, listening to, or reading every week to that is bringing more truth, beauty, or goodness in our life. So what do you have right now, Seth? Well, I have had Alice Munro's book, Family Furnishing. It's her selected short stories, which are really super long. So that's they are very long and she can be kind of worried, but I I do like some of her stuff. Man, I I was telling Amber yesterday, I was I'm I'm sort of slowly making my way through the first story. It you know, I was telling you that I've been having a hard time finishing fiction. I am Mm -hmm. not having a hard time with this one. Um and I found myself lost in her wordplay and her character development in ways that like, oh, she's telling me that man is an abuser or she's telling me that that man is very tender or that woman is a homemaker, but she never says the words. She just paints these like amazing pictures that let you understand who that character is in the world. Um, and, and I told him last night, I'm like, I kind of want to quit writing. Like it's that good. <laughs> I don't know that I can ever pull I, that off. 
There are some writers like that where I get mad at sentences that are so good. Yes. Like, dang it. That's so good. And yeah. I think for me, like when I read Monroe, I'm not, there's like nothing in isolation that I feel like, oh, that was technically something beyond my reach. But it's like when she combines the whole thing together uh, to make these really and makes these really vague sentences paint a very clear picture. It's it's transcendent. It's beautiful work. And so I've really loved it. It's been sitting on my shelf for like three or four, maybe five years. I don't know. Um, yeah. And I just pulled it down because I was looking for some short stories. Well, you know what? I'm glad you said that too, because I was going to mention that I have found if I get in a reading rut, that short stories tend to get me out of it because yeah. it's start to finish, you know, in one chapter, even if they're long, it's yeah. shorter than a novel. So yeah, are totally, totally. Yeah. It, her first short story in that book is like 50 something pages long. <laughs> which is hilarious. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. It, anyone else would call that a novella, but whatever. Right. Right. That's good. So, All right. So cool. Tish, what, what are you on to right now? Uh, that's making your life more beautiful. Well, I just started this book, so I'm literally on chapter two. I can't tell you much about how it's going to end, but it's nonfiction. It's called rest. And I got this, like I submitted my book manuscript <laughs> and then I'm, I can't even remember how I heard this, but I was like, Ooh, this is for me by right now. So it's by Alex Sujung Kim Pang. I think it came about three years ago. You're nodding. Have you read this? Yes. It oh, is. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. It is so good. And okay. now actually, um, this is one of the books that convinced me that I need to start reading more nonfiction. Okay. Well, it's yeah, really it's so it's, good. Well, it's really well written so far. The subtitle is why you get more done when you work less, which I've always been a believer of. But this book writing like this, this particular project chewed me up and spat me out. And I don't think it has anything to do with the book itself. It had to do with the pandemic plus a million other things. It was just a slog to write. And I lost I I didn't sleep well. And it was just a rough go. Um, I think I've just been more and more aware lately of how essential sleep is, which I've long known, but I don't think I've prioritized it till recently. I I bought a Fitbit, which I always said I would not do, but I did. Mm -hmm. And my favorite thing about it so far is not the step counting because I get 10K easily. It's um, the sleeping. So it tells you how well you're sleeping and I sleep crappy. And I knew that, but it was still interesting to see. So I am like prioritizing it big time these days. And so this book is a companion to my, my sleeping journey here that I hope to benefit from soon. I think we should talk about that on an, uh, when you're finished with that book, we should talk about that, this book on the podcast, because I think, um, sleep is the most underrated thing. I'm a, I need, 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 need seven hours, like Mm -hmm. period. And I sleep maybe six. Yeah. Um, and it's awful. Yeah. Uh, it's awful. So yeah. it, it's awful. If you asked me before this, I thought I would get, I, I would get about eight because I would go to bed decent, like on time and wake up. Like I was obeying all the rules they said to do, but I was still not getting good restful deep sleep. And it was yeah. like, Oh, this is why I'm tired. And it sh- our normal should not be tired. And so, no. yeah, this is, no. this is my new quest now that I've, done my writing project. So the quest, I'm going to work on getting better sleep. The quest for rest. Yes, that's right. And I am 100% in favor of talking about this because I have a feeling we're not alone. So Mm-mm, No, no. So everybody who listens should tell us yeah. somewhere, comment somewhere, maybe on um, the, the, the page, the Substack yeah. page, and tell us if you want to hear about rest. Because I think 
Um, surely we're not the only, surely we're not the only two. Sure. We're not seeing as this book was written to begin with. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. All right. Well, it is time to wrap this episode up. You can find it as well as all episodes at a drink with a friend.com. And it's where you can sign up for that sub stack that Seth was just talking about. And it's where you can support the show for just a few dollars. You can find me and all my work at tishoxenwriter.com. Seth, where can people find you? They can find me at uh, sethhaines.com. Everything that you need to know about me is there. <laughs> All right. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. Editing is by Kyle Oxenreiter. And Caroline Tassell is our transcriber and assistant extraordinaire. I'm Tish Oxenreiter, and Seth and I will be back here with you soon. Bye.